phone. It's buzzing. Forgot to put it on. Do not disturb. All right, let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Your Gay Big Sis. I'm Katie Hahn. Thank you for your patience. I know an episode did not go out last week, so thank you for waiting for this one. I am super excited about this week's episode because it is the first episode that Kate Scalisi is our resident sexpert. She will be answering one or two of your questions every week. So if you have a question specifically for Kate, you can email them to me as you always do at gaybigsis at gmail.com and just put in the subject line, questions for Kate. Let's get started. I'm not going to lie, this week's episode was inspired by reality TV, and I will not apologize for that. I just finished the Are You the One season eight, which is the queer season, for those of you who do not know. If you don't even know what I'm talking about at all, Are You the One is another reality TV dating show. But the concept is that everyone who has been chosen to be on the show has been placed with a partner by a set of matchmakers. So everyone on the show has a quote unquote perfect match in the house on the show with them. And the goal is that you need to find all matches in order to win the cash prize money. So in past years, they've had heterosexual people come in. And so it's been boys going after girls and the girls going going after the boys. And there's only a certain amount of combinations that can happen because of that. But season eight was a revolutionary season where they got people who were all bisexual, pansexual, sexually fluid, and down to date anyone. And so there was an unlimited amount of combinations that these people could come up with. And I just need to make the pitch that if you love reality TV, you will love this season. Oh my God. It was so much fun. Me and my roomies and my girlfriend were on the edge of our seats. I'm obsessed. It was a total blast. And I hope, I hope that Are You The One continues to do queer seasons because it was just head and shoulders over any heterosexual dating show that I have ever seen. I'm so here for it. Are You The One Season 8 is not the first reality TV dating show to represent queer relationships. Back in 2007, there was a show called A Shot at Love with Tia Tequila, which was a Bachelorette-style show. It was on MTV, and it had a woman bisexual lead, and then all of her suitors were men and women. There was also Finding Prince Charming on Logo TV in 2016, which was also Bachelor style, but it was an entirely gay male cast. There's been queer representation on Netflix's Dating Around, which is like a docu-series about people going on first dates. There's been representation on Love Island. There's been one (laughs) queer relationship that has broken through on Love Island in years past. So clearly there is a demand for this because as we know, there are more out queer people in Gen Z than there are in any other generation. And I think that number is only going to rise. So there is clearly a demand for this kind of representation. Oh, I almost forgot. There's also a bisexual Australian bachelorette currently right now. So this kind of media isn't going anywhere. And I'm so excited about it. But The difference between a lot of these shows that has come before and Are You the One season eight I think is just the sheer kind of representation that is going on in this show. 
I think my issue with these older shows is that there's a really heavy emphasis on the binary in a lot of reality TV dating. And it's unfortunate that even when we try to do queer spun versions of these very hetero binary shows, they still come out with an emphasis on the binary. And I think that that's something that Are You The One season eight really got right. They were able to have gender non-conforming representation, non-binary representation, trans representation, and there was so little focus on men versus women, there was never any discussion of separating people by gender. They were all just really in a unanimous acknowledgement that we're just a bunch of people who like people. And that was so groundbreaking for television and for reality TV especially, which is why I am such a huge fan. Of course, this show is not without its flaws. Every reality TV show is going to get a little awkward, a little cringe. People are going to say things slightly off color. It happens. That's just the nature of things when you put a bunch of people in a room together and tell them they can say whatever they want with cameras rolling on national TV. But... I think the amazing, amazing part of this show is that it's going to prove to producers of these types of productions that you don't need to follow the strict heteronormative binary that has been set in place by previous dating shows to have a really successful, really entertaining season that you can make this kind of media with tons of queer representation and it's still just as drama-filled and as juicy as any reality TV consumer would want. And I think that is a huge turning point. Who knows, maybe I'm being optimistic because are You The One Season 8 did come out in 2019 and just this past year, Love Island released a statement that having an entirely queer cast would be too logistically difficult. Hmm? Are You The One just showed you an exact blueprint for you to follow and unless they've copyrighted that, I don't really see what's so logistically difficult about what they just pulled off. <sighs> I'm going to cross my fingers. I'm going to hope for the best because I would love and I will devour any more queer reality TV dating shows that come out in the next few years. The question that really came to the forefront of my mind while watching this was about settling. What is settling? We've made it out to be this really negative thing that you should never settle in a relationship. You should always be striving for the person that is perfect and meets all your needs and that you're so attracted to. And you should never have to compromise things that you may want or need in a relationship just to be with someone, just to have someone. And I think that it's gotten a little bit of a bad rap I think that settling, or the definition of settling, has been misconstrued over the years. I think the idea of giving up things that you really need in a relationship to be with someone is probably not the best move. But I think on the lines of physical attraction, settling can be okay sometimes. I really want to 
make myself so clear. So I'm going to try and elaborate on what I mean by this. I think that the person that is right for you isn't always the person that you are magnetically attracted to, have to jump their bones as soon as you see them, just can't stop thinking about getting in their pants. You want to be close to them. You want to be touching them all the time. I don't necessarily think that that is always the right person for you. And I think that we have an unreasonable expectation in our society in terms of everything that our partners need to be. And I feel like first and foremost, given our very obsessed with beauty and fashion and all of that society, that physical attraction is often people's number one. And if I'm not physically attracted to you, I'm out. Mm, I don't know. I think that physical attraction can grow. I really think it can. I think that anyone that's ever said, yeah, they're really cute or they're really pretty or they're really hot, but they're not my type. Okay. What do you mean? You just said they're really pretty. Would you not be able to be physically attracted to someone that you thought was pretty? I don't know. I'm starting to ramble, but I hope you can see the inner workings of my thought process while I was watching this show. Because most of the people on this show tended to go for the person they were most physically attracted to first. And they almost all of them called that following their heart because it's just that gut feeling. And what some of the other people in the group pointed out is that following your gut isn't often your gut, but it's your crotch. And you're thinking with your crotch. Almost none of the couples that immediately split off when the show first started ended up being each other's perfect match. But those first couples were the ones who felt that they were mo the most drawn to each other and the most attracted to each other. Yet, literally, I think one of those couples ended up actually being a perfect match. None of the other combinations were the people that the matchmakers chose for them, which I thought was so fascinating. Why are we giving our gut so much say in who we date when who you lust after isn't always going to be the person that is going to be a good partner for you? I want to bring this back around to the idea of settling and that I think that most of the people on Are You The One felt as though if they didn't try for the person that they were most attracted to, if they didn't pursue the person that their gut was telling them to go for, that they would be settling. So why is settling associated with attraction? Why do we feel as though we're settling if we get with someone who we weren't initially dying to jump their bones? 
I think we as a society have put physical attraction up on this pedestal as an indicator of a potentially successful relationship. Physical attraction isn't an indicator of anything other than physical attraction. Yes, seeing someone from across the room and being instantly attracted to them might be a great indicator if you're looking for a one-night stand, but there's nothing about physical attraction that will tell you that someone is a good partner for you, if they can meet you where you're at, if your needs and what you can give balance each other out. Physical attraction doesn't have anything to do with that. Everyone's hope is that you'll find someone that you're attracted to and balances out your needs. But I think we've put this societal pressure on that attraction is what you look for first. And if Are You The One showed us anything, it's that the person that you're attracted to initially is not always going to be good for you. I do want to acknowledge that none of the couples that were put together in Are You The One are still together. I also want to acknowledge that this is not a bunch of couples that matchmakers have chose out of lists of thousands. I am assuming that the cast is chosen and then the matchmakers must place people together within this cast of 16. So, with that being said, how good the matchmakers choose people for each other is questionable. But they were bringing up great points along the lines of someone being very insecure and needing a lot of reassurance. And someone who is really great at giving reassurance and loves to be an advice giver and a hand holder and a shoulder to cry on. So, I think there's something to be said for this societal emphasis on sexual attraction or physical attraction. And why? I would love to see more shows like Love is Blind where the entire premise is that you can't see the person and you have to go off of what you have in common and what you have to bring to the table and how the other person may compliment you. I think that is a really cool experiment because we've seen a lot of experiments where people are allowed to be attracted to each other and they don't often end well. And there are some questionable relationships that came out of Love is Blind too, yes. But there's also a couple that have really stuck over the past couple of years, which is impressive and cool. It's almost as if that you can find someone who really works for you without having to put so much pressure on how hot you think they are. If I had a nickel for every time that I heard a friend say, oh, they're so pretty, or they're so hot, or they're really beautiful, but they're just not my type. Huh? What does that even mean? You're attracted to people, they're a person, and you just said they're beautiful. Maybe start a conversation with them, and something in their personality could reveal themselves as your type. But we're so focused on what we think we have been attracted to 
or we think we should be attracted to. That we're counting out perfectly good, doesn't have to be relationships, even perfectly good flirtatious conversations out at a bar with friends because they're not my type. I feel like we have made settling out to mean that you're getting with someone that's not as hot as you or not as hot as you'd like them to be. And I think that's pretty shitty. Because since settling is talked about, usually in a negative connotation, if I were to think about what settling would mean for me, settling would mean that I was with someone who did not value me, wasn't there for me, wasn't willing to communicate or compromise. That would be settling for me because I would be settling for less than what I deserve. This may be a hot take, but you don't necessarily deserve hotness in a partner or societal's expectation of hotness, rather. You deserve to be loved. You deserve to be seen and understood and appreciated and supported. But none of those things have anything to do with the way someone looks. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and date people who you are not attracted to. It's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that if you find yourself with a very narrow definition of what you're attracted to, I would encourage you to dig deep inside yourself and figure out if that's really what you're attracted to, or is that what you're being told you should be attracted to? Because if you're writing off people who you think are really attractive, but just not your type, you may be missing out on something that could actually be really good for you. Maybe focus less on what you think your partner is supposed to look like or should look like and start thinking about what you need in a partner. Moving on to our listener questions. I'm only going to read two questions today because one of them is kind of a two in one. And then Kate's going to answer another two. This first question reads, hey, Katie. I'm going through my first real heartbreak after two years with my partner. I'm 23 and this was my first relationship. It feels like it's never going to stop hurting. Any advice on getting over someone? Oh, my babe. I hear you. I hear the pain and sadness coming through in this email. And I have been there and I know how you feel. It sucks. Oh, my God, it sucks. <laughs> I get it. It's awful. It feels like your whole world just shattered and the person that you thought was going to be there for a long time, if not forever, is just not there anymore. You can't lean on them, call them up like you used to. You're not only losing a relationship, but sometimes it feels like you're losing a friend and that is a double whammy. Fuck, it hurts. I've so been there. I'm not saying this to try and continue to make you feel bad, but hopefully 
you can hear that I know exactly where you're coming from and feel some empathy on that front. What I would do to get over someone, this isn't what you're going to want to hear, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. This is a combination of things that I have figured out work for me in heartbreak and things that friends have suggested I do. Starting off with delete the photos. Delete the photos or archive them. Put them into a hidden album. But just so that when you scroll through your photos to find the pick of your Vax card or whatever it may be, you're not re-stumbling into those feelings. It's going to be so much harder to get over that person if every time you pick up your phone, you're seeing them. So archive the photos on Instagram. Archive the photos in your photos album on your phone. If that's too hard to do right now, have a friend come over, pick a movie, get some wine or weed or whatever your vice of choice be if you have one. Pick a fun movie and say, I need you to archive all these pictures while we sit here together and watch this movie and drink wine or whatever it may be. I would journal. Journaling really helps me get my feelings out and onto a page. And so they're not swirling in my brain so much anymore. If you have love letters or things like that, stop reading them, please. I know it's hard and I know you want to because it feels good to kind of just relive those little moments. But again, it's only going to continue to reopen the wound. Really try to get out and experience new things. Go to a new place. Hang out with a new group. Try a new hobby. Take this time to really fall in love with yourself again. Deep clean your room. Maybe reorganize it. Move things around so it feels like a new space. Journal a lot. Prioritize your friendships. Delete the photos. And stop thinking and romanticizing and planning about what you would possibly say to them if you could have another chance to talk. It will not be the closure that you've imagined in your mind because they're not going to say what you've imagined them to say. They're going to say whatever they want to say. So just leave it. Stop thinking about what else you could tell them. And just fall in love with yourself again. I promise you, you will feel better. It takes time and patience and compassion with yourself. But you've got this. All right, so the first part of question two, this has two parts, reads, should I be ashamed about being a pillow princess? I honestly feel bad about it, and I don't know if my girlfriend likes it. I honestly can't tell if they are lying. All right, you should never have to feel bad about being a pillow princess. You like what you like, and that's perfectly normal and all right. Like Kate said last week, there's no normal. There's only more and less common. So with that being said, you're allowed to be a pillow princess. The next question is, does your girlfriend ever want to be a pillow princess also? And I would encourage you to have this conversation when you are not being sexual, when there's no possibility for sex, when you're driving in the car, when you are out at lunch, when you're taking a walk through the park, have this conversation. Because 
it may be that your girlfriend feels some pressure to do what you like when you are being sexual. So that may be why you're feeling like, oh, they're just agreeing to whatever I want to do because we're here in the heat of the moment. So ask that question outside of a sexual situation. And hopefully that will open the door to have a bigger conversation about what you and your girlfriend both like. And that conversation can be ever-changing and adding things and taking out things and ebbing and flowing. That doesn't mean that once you have that conversation, that's set in stone. But you can check in in terms of what do you like right now? What are you into right now? Knowing that you or your partner has the opportunity to change that up whenever they would like. They just need to be willing to start the conversation about it. So I think it's really okay that you're a pillow princess. Just make sure that you start a conversation so your partner's needs are being met too. The next part of this question reads, also, how do I come out to my parents as non-binary? They are kind of homophobic, especially my mom, who can't accept that I'm a lesbian and always asks if I have a boyfriend, even though she accepts that my cousin is gay. I want to start off by saying I am so sorry that your mom is not accepting and supporting of your identity in the ways that you would like her to be. That sounds really tough, and I'm sorry. I always say that if you are in a position where you are risking your shelter, your food, having money to come out, I would wait. If you have parents that are potentially going to disown you and leave you without a place to live, I would wait until you have money of your own, a place of your own, and autonomy and knowing that you have a safe place to fall if you do come out to your parents and they do cut contact. It sounds like that's not what has happened in your case because you say that you have come out as a lesbian and your mom can't accept it and is asking you if you have a boyfriend, but it sounds like you're still in contact and possibly living with them, I don't know. Because your mom is supportive of your cousin being gay and not you, there's part of me that wonders, is this actually about her being upset with you for being queer? Or is this about her feeling insecure that she didn't put this together herself? She didn't know. And sometimes when people come out to their parents, the defensive reaction from the parents is not necessarily out of homophobia, but disappointment in themselves that they couldn't have seen this coming and learned how to be a better support system for you because of that. Again, I'm projecting this is may not be the case at all, but I just find it interesting that she's supportive of your cousin, but not you. And because of that, I would, if you feel it is safe, Again, always take my advice with a grain of salt. If my assessment of the situation is totally wrong, always do what you feel is best. But I would encourage you to start a conversation coming from a place of, Mom, Dad, I really want you to understand me. 
I want to share myself and my life with you as your child and with you as my parents, I want you to support that. Maybe bring them some books, some books about gender history and say, look, this is not a new thing. This is not trendy. I would love to connect with you guys about this topic. Would you be willing, willing to read this book together with me? I think that if you came from a place of really wanting to build and grow your relationship with your parents within your coming out, that could really change their perspective instead of feeling like it's something that you're just throwing at them that they have to figure out how to handle. And that can be really anxiety-inducing for a parent who's worried about doing it right or worried about doing it wrong and having you leave them. They might just be really scared and not knowing how to handle this. And again, I'm taking that hint from the fact that your parents are supportive of your cousin because they don't necessarily have to be parenting your cousin. But they're okay with him or her or them being gay. So I wonder if they'd be okay too if you just held their hand a little bit and came from a place of wanting to build your relationship together through this process of you coming out. Moving on to our sexpert questions. These questions will be answered by our lovely sexpert, the Kate Scalisi. Our first one reads, I feel like I'm the only one who feels weird about sex toys. I've never felt shameful about masturbation or my sexuality, but something about putting a piece of plastic in me or using a vibrator just seems so sterile and forced. I legit just have no desire until my friends start talking about how much they love their vibrators slash dildos and how amazing their O's are, and I start to get FOMO. Any tips for getting over my sex toy phobia? I want to start my response with the reminder and the reframe that when it comes to sex, despite what we have been told and <laughs> what most mainstream media and conversations on this topic try to convince us, there really is no normal. There's some things that are more common and some things that are less common, but that doesn't mean there is anything wrong with them or you. And when it comes to sex toys and liking them or not liking them, that totally applies. Secondly, I think you've done a really good job here of identifying what might be kind of weirding you out or making it, making you not have desire. And I think there are some potential practical points here. So perhaps instead of using something plastic, you can opt for a more like natural earth-based material like a stone or maybe even a stainless steel. And I'll make sure that we link to um, an article that I wrote years ago about sex toy materials that kind of goes through what some of your options are that may help address that. Um, in terms of the piece about it feeling sterile and forced, you also can think about maybe like setting the scene. Like how can you make this feel sexy and fun and desirable? And maybe that is putting the same time and attention 
into using a toy that you would with a partner. And honestly, I often recommend folks do this, especially if they've been using a toy for a while and feel like they're in a rut. Like this is just something that all of us, quite frankly, could pay (laughs) more time and attention to. And so those are two places to start. And then I will also invite in (laughs) the question of, are there deeper stories about what using a sex toy means, what it says about you? There might be, there might not be, that's okay. Either way is okay. And if there are, what might those stories be and how might they be impacting your desire? I hope that helps. And like I said, we'll drop some links. I also want to mention that for folks who are looking to pick out a sex toy, I do offer sex toy consultations. They are free with purchase of the toy, or you can um, pay a small fee for that if you'd like to support your local sex toy shop. We'll make sure all of those links are below. Our fourth and final question of the day reads, my question is for Kate. Why do I love watching the kind of porn that I would never want to do in my own sex life? I love getting this question. It is a really common question and common experience. And so that's kind of where I want to start is that you totally are not alone. And there are some different thoughts about this and some different approaches to take. And as always, I want to invite in some space and some curiosity and gentleness around this. I am not hearing a lot of self-judgment in the way you wrote the question, but whether for you or someone else listening, I just really want you to know that this is so common and so normal. So let's talk about it. On one hand, we know that there are different types of arousal. And so when we think about arousal, there is the genital response, which typically is what's studied. And I'm going to share an article that examines this in more detail. Make sure that link is below. Um, And what we know is that our genitals tend to respond to a wide range. This is especially true for people with vulvas, but not exclusively to a wide range of sexual stimuli. And our genitals are really telling us like, oh, this is this is a sexy thing and I'm going to respond to that. Kind of when I, just like when I smell something, I'm going to start salivating, right? If I smell food, I'm going to start salivating. And then there's that subjective arousal, which is like, how do I feel about this thing that I'm watching? And then of course, there's also desire, which is do I really want more of this? Do I want to keep watching? So that's one piece is that often there are things that we'd watch that our body would interpret as sexual and whether or not we're like really into them, it can still bring in that arousal and kick up that little bit of curiosity. Now, why does it kick up that curiosity? It could be that you feel safe because you're watching it. It's not happening. You're not being asked to do this thing that you know you've identified that at least at this point you don't want to do in your own sex life, but it's safe to want to watch it and explore it through that avenue because there's like zero pressure and zero pressure is typically something that turns a lot of people on. Now, the last piece is the simple truth of we don't really know, (laughs) Um, right? Fantasy is really cool, 
Because it's just that. It's fantasy. Why do so many of those of us who read romance love an alpha and in real life would be like, don't fucking talk to me that way. Excuse me. Absolutely not. Right? Like, nope. Deal breaker. And we really can't. I don't have a good reason. It just kind of is one of those things. But what I would offer really to wrap this up is... Fantasy is allowed to remain fantasy, whether it's something that you are watching through porn or thinking about or even talking dirty about with a partner or partners. It is totally allowed to be that, to remain fantasy, to remain a thing that you never want to do. And it's totally okay to enjoy watching other people do things that you don't want to do and getting pleasure from that. Obviously, as long as it's not exploitative and it's consensual. I feel like that goes without saying in this space, but we'll say it anyways. So that's my answer. Like I said, we'll include this link. I have two links for you um, that are related. And of course, let us know if you have more questions. My dears, that is all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Your Gay Big Sis. I'm Katie Han. As always, if you have a question, you can email it to me at gaybigsis at gmail.com. I am here almost every Wednesday, and we now have our beautiful residence expert, Kate Scalisi. So if you have a question for Kate, email it to me at gaybigsis at gmail.com with the subject line, questions for Kate. I'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs>